All right, for those of you who don't know, we are doing our Family Sunday series, uh, which is our kids from upstairs come down and they join us, and so our services are a little bit different than normal, and we have a little bit more fun, a lot more candy than normal, (laughs) but uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, we have been talking about the life of Paul this entire summer, and today we're going to talk about Paul's final journey, uh, the final journey in his life, and uh, let me tell you something, it is quite a journey, what he has to go through. Um, I mean, we have, we have definitely covered so much since the beginning of Paul's ministry until now. Um, if you remember, it stall, all started on the road to where? The road to Damascus, exactly. And you know what? I'm kind of hoping that all of us might be able to get on the road to Damascus. Am I right about that? <laughs> Here we go. We got that on the screen there in case for those of you who are a little slow and didn't get it. It's a little biblical humor, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I got to give credit where due. Debbie Toth gave me that one, so thank you, Debbie. But yeah, from Paul's initial trip on the road to Damascus, Damascus, where God got a hold of his life, and to now, so much has happened. And in our series, we have just skimmed the surface. I mean, barely skimmed the surface. And so, parents, I would encourage you. Read the book of Acts to your children because there are so many stories and so many details that we haven't covered, and I think it would be an incredible uh, thing to do with your children. But if you remember last week, uh, Pastor Josh talked about how Paul arrived into the city of Jerusalem, and when he got there, man, it was like instant chaos. I mean, the Jews hated him there, they were against him, and there was this big mob of people hurling false accusations against him, so much so that the Romans had to literally pick him up and rescue him, and then threw him into prison. And so then they were holding a court hearing, you know, to see if he was guilty for what they were saying, and he was standing up for himself, and they were accusing him of things, and and it was just this big mess. To one point, eventually Paul says, he goes, I appeal to Caesar, which means that if it was granted access to that, he would have to go all the way to Caesar Augustus and stand before him, and Caesar would weigh in on his case to see if he was guilty or innocent. And so the person he was talking to, he says, well, then to Caesar you shall go. And so it was all organized that Paul was going to be taken all the way to Rome to be able to stand before Caesar and, and, and state his, his case, his appeal. So that decision was made. And uh, so Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a Roman centurion by the name of Julius. And uh, does anyone here na- have the name Julius? Nobody? Okay, well, you're going to get a piece of candy if you did. Uh, but Juli- Julius in Scripture tells us that Julius was a centurion in the Imperial Regiment. I mean, that was his title. I'm Julius, I'm a centurion in the Imperial Regiment. And I don't know, to me, that just sounds so cool. That's just such a great title. I mean, it's like, man, I wish I could say, I'm Luke Dye. I'm part of the Roman Imperial Regiment. You know, I'm part of that. Instead, I just say, I'm Luke Dye. Whitestone staff. Just doesn't have the same ring to it. But this, this Julius guy is an important Roman centurion, and he's a guy who's going to be taking Paul and a bunch of prisoners to, to Rome. And obviously, he's going to have some other soldiers with him, too, to help him. But one thing about this, this Julius guy is you will see that he greatly admires Paul. Um, he really looks up to him, really respects him, and likes him. And, and honestly, we're going to see he sticks, out, sticks up for Paul a lot of times. And which is a pretty cool thing to think about a Roman centurion of the Imperial Regiment, way up here, important dude, is caring about a little lowly prisoner, you know, on the ship here. It's a pretty cool thing to see. We're going to see that along in the story. 
So Paul and the other prisoners get on this ship and they begin their journey to Rome. Now, something you need to understand, kids, is that this is way back in the day and ships did not have motors. So what did ships have to use to be able to get across the ocean? Well, they did have oars too, but I don't think you're going to oar across the ocean. What did they use? Sails, exactly. They had sails and, and the wind would pick up the sails and it would start to push the ship and that's how they would do it. How many of you guys have ever sailed before? I mean, you sail, holy smokes, you guys are all sailors. It's crazy. Any, anybody own a sailboat? That kind of dropped the hands a little faster. Okay, has anybody sailed in Lake Michigan? Okay, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, I'm a bit of a seasoned sailor myself. Uh, I've only done it one time, actually, and it was at a camp. And it was one of those little rinky-dink sailboats, you know, where two people can sit in and they have a sail. And it was at Camp Iwana, and uh, this is before I was married, and me and my buddy said, hey, dude, let's go sailing. You know, this can't be that hard. And so we got in this little sucker, and we pulled out, and we didn't really know what we were doing. We are just kind of moving the sail on, until it all of a sudden started to move. And all of a sudden, it's like, and we're like, dude, this is awesome. I could get in this. We're kind of chilling along, cruising down, and we're just cruising down all the way to the end of the lake. And as we're getting close to the, eight, to the end of the lake, I'm like, hey, bro, how do we stop this thing? He's like, I don't know. And then so we're, we're cruising along. I'm like, well, well there's got to be a way to stop it, isn't it? He's like, no. All into these tall reeds and bulrushes, and we're stuck in there. And so I'm like, dude, just kind of push it out, and let's try to you know, turn it the other way. So we got it out of the reeds, and we're trying to go into the wind, and it just kept sending us back and sending us back and sending us back. One hour and a half of trying to get this thing to go into the wind. We didn't know what we were doing. We actually climbed up to the top of the mast, unscrewed the everything so that it would lower it, and we got outside and we swam the boat back to the dock. It was terrible. After that, I was like, I'm never sailing again. This is a dumb thing. Apparently, somebody told me that when you're going into the wind, what do you have to do? Yeah, the fancy word is tack. I call it zigzag. You, you go this way, and then you have to turn it this way, and you slowly, you slowly make your way, you know, going to the other. It takes a long time, but that's what you had to do. Really, the way that you would move quickly in a, in a sailboat, a boat with a sail, is that you'd have the wind behind you and it would take you. So these guys are heading to Rome and they need to get there quickly because the time of the year is quickly coming to an end and the, traveling on the oceans is very, very dangerous because there's huge storms and the winds turn different directions and, and it's not a great time to be heading out, but that's the time they're heading out. So they get on this ship and they start making their way up the coast and they're probably having to zigzag, zigzag, zigzag and it's this long trip just to get a little way up the coast. But they eventually get to a place by the name of Fair Havens. Okay, it's a little town and apparently it's not a great town to harbor at over the winter. So the centurion wants to keep going and maybe find a bigger town. However, Paul doesn't think it's wise. And he's sensing in his spirit that if they head out into the ocean, they're going to encounter great difficulty, a lot of danger, a lot of damage, a great loss. And so he feels like he needs to speak to the ship's officers and the centurion, and so he does. And this is what he says, chapter 27, verse 10. Men, he said, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. I mean, he's like, guys, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't think we should do this. I think there's going to be a lot of loss, a lot of danger. Um, it's just, it's not good. Let's stay here over the winter. But the officer in charge, the centurion, 
uh, of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. Now, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? He's the captain. He's the one who sails ships all the time. And so he's like, you know what? If the captain says it's good, then I think it's good. And the captain's like, yeah, I think we can do this. It's not a big problem. We can, let's, let's, let's make it happen. So the captain or the centurion goes, yeah, Paul, you're just a prisoner, bro. I'm going to listen to the captain. Let's head out. And it says, and since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a very poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So they decided to head on to the city of Phoenix. Apparently they had better restaurants, a couple chilies and olive gardens, and so they wanted to harbor the winter there. Now, just to be clear, this is not Phoenix, Arizona. This is Phoenix in the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where they want to go. And so they're waiting for a good and favorable wind to show up. And what's that? A wind that comes where? From behind, right? So they're waiting for that so they can hop in the ocean and get up to, to get to Phoenix, wherever Phoenix is. And sure enough, guys, one day, a gentle south wind began to blow. And they got all excited, all the captain and the shipmates are all like, here we go, boys, we're ready to go. I told you, Paul, you're just a loser prisoner. You don't know what you're talking about. Let's get on. And they lifted anchor and they head out on the ship and the wind is in their favor and it's amazing. And they start sailing off into sea and everything seems great. But that didn't last very long. All of a sudden, things went wrong. And I mean really wrong. Let me read it to you. It said, but the weather changed abruptly. And a wind of hurricane strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and just let it run before the gale. Has anybody ever been in a hurricane before? Anybody? Which one? Charlie. Charlie? Where were you? Florida. Florida. Okay. Were you out in the ocean? No. On land? Anybody else in a hurricane? We just have Charlie here. Okay. Uh, do you know of anybody who's been out in the ocean in a hurricane? Anybody know? I heard of someone that was on a cruise one time, but they weren't out in the ocean. They were just stationed, and the, everybody was, and it was like, oof, and it was like super scary. But this is what these guys are having to go through. They're out in the middle of the ocean, and this hurricane-like wind is just pounding them, and it says that they can't turn the ship into the wind to get back to shore. I know all about that. And, and so they're, they're having a hard time. Finally, they said, you know what? Forget it. Let's just let it blow us out into the ocean. And so they're just cruising out into the middle of the ocean, which is never a good thing to just be sent out not knowing where you're going. Let's keep reading. It said that we sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. So these boats, apparently these ships had lifeboats, but what they do is they would just trail it on a long rope behind them. So I guess it was getting whipped around, so they decided to pull it in, and they hoisted it up onto the ship, and they kept it on top of the ship with them. Then it says, the, the sailors bound ropes around the whole of the ship to strengthen it. Apparently, the waves are so bad and the storm is nailing them so hard that they throw these big ropes around the entire hull of the ship and tighten them down to be able to keep everything together so that the, winds, the waves don't break things or smash it up. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off of the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. 
Apparently there were these sandbars that they didn't want to hit, and so they dropped a bunch of anchors to drag along the bottom so that it would slow how fast they're being moving along the water. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. And the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and out the stars, until at last, all hope was gone. So this storm continues to pummel them and pummel them and pummel them, and the wind is raging and the waves are crashing and the clouds are are keeping the sun from shining down upon them in the day and keeping the stars from shining down on them at night. It is completely dark, and it says that all hope was gone. You ever felt like that before? Ever been in a place in your life before where everything's dark, the wind is raging against you, the waves keep crashing, there's no ray of sunshine at all shining in your life, and it just seems like all hope is gone. I would say that most, if not all of us, have had times in our life where we've experienced that. In fact, some of you may be going through that right now. And you read that verse and you, you immediately identify with it and you go, man, that, that sounds like my life right now. In fact, like Paul, you might even have seen this storm coming. You, you knew that it was going to happen and you, you tried to warn everyone, but they didn't listen to you. Maybe you, you have a child who has made a horrible decision and you warned them ahead of time and said, listen, don't do this. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And they ignored you and they did it anyways. Maybe at your work, you talked to your boss and you said, man, I feel like if you do this, if you make this decision, this is all going to fall apart. And they ignore you and they did it anyway. And, and you know, it's, it's crazy. The crazy thing about these kind of things is that because of the decision, it's not just them who is affected by it. No, it's you too. And not just you, but probably a great number of people all around you are having to gut through this storm because of this the decision that somebody else made. All because someone didn't listen to your counsel. And now the storm has hit and everyone feels like all hope is gone. And you know, it's easy in those situations to just give up or to quit or throw in the towel. Throw your hands up in despair. But why so? And I, I just want to encourage us, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we just can't do that. Because it's, a, it's at these times where we must lead. And, and I would encourage us to pay attention to how Paul acts in this situation because I think he does a brilliant job of leading. Let's watch a prisoner lead a group of people in a hopeless situation and let's try to learn from him how we should live our lives as well in our hopeless situations. Now, one thing I love about this story is the detail. The author of Acts is incredibly detailed how he describes his story. And and by the way, who's the author of Acts? It's not Paul. It's actually Luke. Yep. And we Lukes are just very detailed people. That's just kind of how we we flow. If you knew me, that's not true. But this Luke is. He is incredibly detailed. If you read the story, you will see, man, he just mentions incredible detail. Um. Rather than just say, yeah, we headed out to Rome, got into a big storm, ship got crashed, but we eventually made it there. He doesn't do that. He, in a very detailed way, explains the whole story. So let's look at it. Verse 21, it says, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. 
you would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, Paul, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So Paul says, guys, take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Now, there's a lot to unpack here in this passage, but first of all, notice the detail that Luke writes here. He says, no one had eaten for a long time. Now, why do you think that was? Why hadn't they eaten for a long time? They were all throwing up. Yeah, it's probably a possibility. Oh, they threw it up overboard? Um, no, they still had some food. Any other reasons? Well, no, it was still okay. Now, let me ask you guys, if you are terrified for your life and this ship is just getting smashed and it's rocking back and forth and water spraying, you're hanging on and you don't want to get washed overboard and you're just like, oh my word, we're going to die. You don't go, hey, Johnny, can you pass me a brownie? I'm famished over here. (laughs) You're not thinking about food. You're just wanting to stay alive. That's what's going on. But I want you to notice something here too as well. Tell me, when an airplane, you know... those jets that we fly, if you're, you start to hit some, a rough storm or some turbulence, what usually happens? Who usually gets on the intercom? The captain, right? The captain gets on and goes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain here. Just to let you know we're going to be hitting some turbulence in the next few minutes. Uh, just to let you know everything is okay. We are perfectly safe, but please stay buckled in your seat and do not get up and walk in the aisles. Do not go to the bathroom. We'll let you know shortly when we get out of this and uh, we'll put the light back on. Now, why is the captain getting on the intercom and letting us know? To what? Settle us down, right? We're, we're, we might be scared. We're like, oh, my land. <laughs> oh, my land. We're in a pile of metal up in the air. We're going to die. And the captain's like, no, just settle down. It's okay. We're going to be okay. Just, you know, keep your seatbelt buckled. And if you're on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, you hit some bouncy waters, the captain is going to get on, and he's going to, you know, let everybody know as well, okay? Now, as we know, the reason the captain does that is because he wants us to, to just relax. So tell me, as this ship is being tossed around in the storm, and all hope is gone, and it's completely dark, and they haven't eaten in a long time, who should be talking to all the ship members? the captain, right? I mean, he's the dude who decided to go in the first place. He's the one who says, yeah, we'll be fine. Let's head out. So it was his decision. But you know what? He's nowhere to be found in this story. And notice who actually picks up the job. Look at what it says there. Finally, Paul called the crew, the crew together to talk to them. Now, refresh my memory, but what is Paul on this ship again? A prisoner. But suddenly, he steps up to the role of a captain, and he gathers the crew together, and he speaks to them. The prisoner becomes the captain. Now, how is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because God was in his life, and God was working with him. You know, I want to quickly speak to that, because I want you to know that that principle applies to you as well. Listen, if you are a godly person and you're a person who seeks God and listens to God and does life with God, God will use you. 
I don't care what situation you're in, whatever position of authority you're in, whether you're way down here or way up here, God will give you a platform of leadership to impact people's lives. Godly people become natural leaders and they have impact on the situation around them, no matter what their status is. I mean, read the Bible, you'll see it all the time. Little David, just a little weenie shepherd boy. He goes into the army ranks, and next thing you know, he sees Goliath threatening everybody, and he says, why isn't anybody fighting this guy? And next thing you know, he's standing before the king, and he says, I'll do it. And who did he kill that day? Goliath, a little boy. Godly boy is used by God. Daniel, he was just a slave, captured slave in the land of Babylon. Godly, godly man. Next thing you know, he's being called before King Nebuchadnezzar to interpret his dream. Guys, I tell you, the same applies to us in your businesses, in your homes, in your families. I don't care what position you hold. If you seek God in your life, he's going to use you to lead others. So let him use you, especially guys in the difficult times. I would encourage you to let God use you in this specific pandemic time to impact and to lead in your businesses, in your families, in your group of friends, wherever. And if you seek God and you follow God, people are going to naturally seek your leadership. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, but how, Luke? How do I do that? Well, let's learn from Paul. Let's look at what he says. And I love how he starts out. Maybe don't do this in your businesses or your marriages especially. He starts out by saying, oh, guys, I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. You, you really should have listened to me to stay back in Fair Havens, but you didn't. So now we're in this mess and you have a ton of damage, a ton of loss. But notice what he says next. He says, but guys, take courage. None of you are going to lose your lives, even though the ship is going to go down. The first thing Paul does is to encourage them. Take courage, he says. In other words, fear not. How do we lead in our different areas of life in the midst of this storm? I'll tell you where we start. We end courage people. We fill people with courage. Godly people never promote fear. They promote courage. Amen? Amen. And so men and women, boys and girls, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your homes, be a person who promotes courage in those around you. Never fear. Never let your life promote fear. Because fear is not of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. So promote courage. A godly leader promotes courage. And this is what Paul is doing with this crew of men on the ship who the captain should have been doing this, but instead of lowly prisoners doing it. Now notice how Paul backs up his message of courage. Let me read it to you again. Paul says, listen, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, you stood beside me. And I love that. God was letting Paul know that I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm with you. And it's like he's saying, you know, this guy stood, this angel told me, he says, don't be afraid, Paul, because you're going to surely stand trial before Caesar. In other words, guys, I'm going to Rome and I'm going to make it to Rome. So we're going to be fine. And God also said this, in his goodness, he's granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage because I believe in God. It will be just as he said, we will be shipwrecked on the island. Paul points everyone to God. He's saying, listen, God, guys, I'm not saying this. God is saying this. God spoke to me by way of an angel, and this is what he said. 
And listen, I belong to this God. I serve this God. I believe this God. I trust my God. And he said, if this God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so take courage. Guys, I want us to see that godly people always point people to God, not to themselves. Paul didn't sit there and say, hey, guys, I've been on a ship many, many times in my life, and let me tell you, this is what we need to do. Why don't you pull that sail down, let's throw to the oars, let's just start throwing, throw that junk off, and let's head south, and let's do that. He didn't do that. He pointed them to God. And if we intend to be God's ambassadors on this earth, guys, we must do the same thing. We must point people to our God. For he's the one that we need to look to. He's the one we need to cling to in the storms of our life. They don't need us. They need God. And that's what's going to bring them courage. Let's keep going in the story. Like I said, if you read the passage, you'll see the details I'm talking about. But during the night, the storm is just crashing down around them. It says that all the sailors sensed that land was near. I don't know how they did that, but they sensed it. And so um, they decided to take some soundings to see how deep the water was. So I'm going to need a volunteer. Wolfgang, why don't you get up here, young man? Doesn't want to do it? Okay. Young man over there, come on up here. Okay, this is what they would do. They, they had this long rope with a big weight, not a ball of bread, but a big weight on it. And on the bottom of the weight was a little kind of dugout crevice that they would put wax in it. And when the, when the thing would hit the bottom of the ocean, ground would stick to that wax, and when they'd pull it up, they could see what the bottom of the ocean looked like, and they would, these sailors knew about where they were in the Mediterranean Sea. So that was part of it. Now, this whole thing is when they would drop it into the water, they would let this weight sink and sink and sink, and when it hit, they'd stop and they'd mark it with their hand. And then each little mark, this is only have three feet, but they would, each mark was a fathom. Does anybody know how long a fathom is? Six feet, okay? So each fathom is six feet. And then they would count how many little knots they had, and they would see how deep the ocean was, okay? So what I'm going to need you to do, bud, you're going to need to be a sailor. And what they would do is they'd stand on the front of the ship, and they would wind it out like this, and then they would let it go. And then they would quickly, you know, let it go, and then they would mark it, okay? So we're going to pretend that we're in this big boat. Let's throw that way, okay? (laughs) Don't want to hit Elizabeth. So get down there on that step. And uh, wind it up. Try not to hit the front row. Try to hit that window if you can. Okay, here. Let's change this. Let me get on this side. Don't send it yet. Hold on. All right, you ready? Nope, no, 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 no. This has got to be on this side. Can we do this side? I don't want to send you flying. All right. Let her rip. The other way. There you go. So he's winding up. He lets it go. Try it again. (laughs) Got to let it completely go. Remember, he's hanging on for dear life. You going to do it that way? All right. (laughs) Maybe do a shorter one. Do a shorter. Let it wind. Let it go. There we go. Whoa, see? Now, you're going to... It's going to be traveling along. Let me get it off this mic. Let's pretend, okay? It's traveling down. Grab it, grab it, grab it. And then make your mark. Right there, okay? So now count. Count, go all the way down, count. One, two, three, four, five fathoms. How deep is that, people? 
30 feet. Give it up for our volunteer. Let me give you some candy, bud. Thank you so much. You did an amazing job. You could be a sailor in your lifetime. All right. So they're cruising along, and the guy gets on the ship, and he lets that thing go, and he marks it, and I can't remember how many fathoms it was, but it was about 120 feet deep. And they're like, okay. And just a little while longer, the guy whips it out again and lets it drop it, and he catches it, and they're suddenly at 90 feet. And they're like, oh, my word, we are approaching land, and we're approaching quickly. So they go to the, this is the back of the ship now, and they threw four anchors off into the ground, into the ocean to try to drag on the ground so it would slow their ship because they scared they were going to run into rocks. And it says that they prayed for daylight. So sometime, you know, they're, they're sitting there like, God, please protect us. Now, sometime during the night, some sailors were getting together and they're like, you know what, guys? We're going down. There's no way we're going to make it alive through this. Let's sneak out and let's get the lifeboat, lower it down, and we'll rush off to safety and let those guys go down in flames. And somehow, I don't know how, Paul heard about their little plan. So he told the centurion and the soldiers, he said, hey, guys, if those guys leave the ship, you're all going to die. They have to be on the ship if we're all going to make it. So the centurion believed Paul this time. He's like, sweet daddy. So what, guess what they did? Took the lifeboat and clip, clip, let it go off in the ocean. They got rid of it just so these guys couldn't escape. Now, let's keep reading. Just as the day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. See, it was fear. Please eat something now for your own good. For not a hair of your head will, be, will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, broke off a piece, and ate it. Then everyone is encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does here. As the daylight is beginning to rise up on the horizon, Paul tells everyone in the ship to do what? To eat. And then he takes bread, he thanks God for it, and he eats it. Now, this is pretty astounding. Remember, who eats while you're hanging on for dear life and thinking you're going to die? You're just wanting to stay alive. No one does, but Paul does. Paul, in the midst of the storm, knowing how dangerous everything was, he stood, he, he took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he ate it. Now tell me, how could Paul eat in the middle of a storm like this? Tell me. Because he wasn't what? He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. His trust was in who? God, exactly. And so he took the bread. He wasn't afraid. He took the bread. He thanked God for it and he ate it. Now this may not seem like anything all that special, but I think it's something we can learn from here, and it's this. Godly people lead by living out what they preach. In other words, they walk the talk. Paul didn't say, hey, everybody, take courage, okay? We're going to get through this, and then go hide down in the bunker in the bottom of the ship. No. He demonstrated his courage by eating bread in front of everyone in the midst of the storm. He's, you know, just probably took it, and he's like, man, this is good stuff. This is awesome. Guys, we're going to be fine. And I love that. You know what I love, too, is that he thanked God for the bread first. 
Now understand, they're rocking back and forth and being slammed in by those waves and wind, and it's just, it's a mess. They're probably going to hit rocks. The, the ship is probably going to smash to pieces. Things look as bleak as they could be. Remember, all hope was gone, and nothing can be darker in one's life when all hope is gone. And what does Paul do? He thanks God for some bread. Most every other person would complain to God, whine to God, question God, be angry at God. But what does Paul do? He says, man, God, thank you so much for this bread. I'm so grateful. You see, guys, godly people are thankful in every situation. You know, there's a verse in Thessalonians that, that says to give thanks in every circumstance. Give thanks in every circumstance. Tell me something, guys. Who wrote that verse? Paul did. Paul wrote that verse. Paul also lived that verse. There's a story of, of a, a woman by the name of Corey Tenboom. Has anybody heard of Corey Tenboom? Her and her sister were two Jewish uh, ladies who were in the German concentration camps. And uh, she wrote uh, a bunch of memoirs about her time there. And she tells of this one story that her and her sister were in this kind of barrack together. And in this one barrack, there was just a terrible flea infestation. I mean, it was so bad. They were just scratching and itching, and it was just a mess. And, and they, they, the girls in this barrack, they would gather together at night, and they would pray together, and they would, they would read Scripture together. And, and uh, the, the sister of Corey Tembum was reading this one passage, probably in Thessalonians, where she said, we need to give thanks to God in every circumstance. And she said, you know what? We need to thank God for these fleas. And Corey was like, How, why would we thank God for these fleas? That's ridiculous. She goes, well, we're supposed to thank God in every circumstance, so let's, let's train for that. Let's do that. So throughout their day, they would say, God, thank you that we are together. Thank you that we're in the same dorm together. Thank you that, uh, that we're, we're alive. Thank you for these fleas. Thank you. Thank you. They just kept practicing it. Well, one night, Corey came back from her work, and she walked into their barrack, and there was her, her sister, and it's a longer story than this, but her sister says, Corey, I know why we can thank God for the fleas. And she said, why? She says, because no German soldier ever wants to come into this barrack because the fleas are so bad. And because of that, we get to read the Bible together. We get to pray together. They haven't come in and taken our Bible and our, our things. They haven't busted us up. We're together. And so we can praise God for these fleas. Amen? That's being able to thank God in every circumstance. And Paul was able to thank the Lord for bread in this horrible situation. Bread, something as simple as bread. Paul thanked God for it. Let me ask you, can you thank God for the simple things in your life, even in the midst of your storm? We should. We should all do that. Well, everyone saw Paul's example, and they were encouraged, and so they took some bread, and they began to eat. 276 people see the example of Paul and they're filled with courage and they finally eat after having been filled with fear for two weeks, not eating anything. And they get to eat this bread. And all because of the example of one godly prisoner, all 276 people were encouraged and now nourished with some food. See how thankfulness can change a situation? It's amazing. Let's learn to be thankful to God for whatever we're facing. Let's keep reading. Verse 39, it says, When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea, and then they lowered the rudders, and they raised the foresail, and they headed toward shore. 
Notice the detail there. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon, and the bow of the ship struck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. So here's what's going on. The, the daylight's starting to raise up. They just ate their bread. They thank the Lord for it. They're cruising along, and the storm's pounding, but they see land, and they see this little beach, and they come up with this idea. They say, you know what? If we can just ride the ship right up onto the beach, everything's going to be okay. So they cut the anchors off. They leave them in the sea. They put the oar, They have oars in the water. They're putting those out. They put full sail, and they're cruising into this beach. They're going to make it, but they hit a shoal. Now, a shoal... Uh, basically is like a ridge of what can be sand or rock or whatever under the water that you can't see. And they hit that shoal and the front of the ship got stuck on it. But the back just kept getting hammered by these waves and it began to bust apart. Okay? Now, at this point, the soldiers on the ship feel like the best idea is to kill all the prisoners so that none of them escape. Now tell me, why would they do that? Why don't they want the prisoners to escape? Remember from the past? Because they would be punished with the same sentence that the escaped prisoner went through. Okay, So if someone was going to get the death sentence, the soldiers would all get the death sentence. So they did not want to lose any prisoners. So their idea is, hey, if they swim to shore, they're going to run and we're going to lose them and then we're in trouble. So let's kill them now. Let's just get rid of them now. And I can imagine the prisoners probably there, you know, that morning like, yes, land, we finally have land, we're rescued, we're safe. Wait, what? You're going to kill us? What? We've made it this far, now you're going to wipe us out? This isn't even fair. But guess who comes to the rescue? No. Guess who? The centurion of the imperial regiment. He comes into the, the situation, this Julius... Sure, he was known as J-Dog, but Julius comes up. And remember how I mentioned that he so admired Paul? He so admired Paul, he didn't want to kill him. And so because of that, he says, soldiers, I'm not going to let you carry out the plan at all. And so this is what he said. He says, listen, if you can swim, I want you to jump overboard and swim to shore. If you can't swim, grab a piece of debris or a large piece of wood and float to shore. Okay? But get off the ship because the ship's going to go down. And guess what? Let me read it to you. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. The third service, let me ask you this. How many reached land in safety? Everyone. And tell me, how or why did everyone reach land in safety? Because of who? Ultimately God, but who was obedient to God? Paul. Because of one lowly prisoner on a ship beaten to pieces in a storm, one lonely prisoner saved 276 people. Why? Because he belonged to God. He served God. He obeyed God. And as a prisoner, he took the role of a captain and he led the people on that boat, pouring courage into their lives and, and dispelling fear and, and pointing them to God, all the while being grateful and thankful to God in the midst of this horrible situation. Whitestone, I encourage us to do the exact same thing in our lives. It's God's desire to use us to impact the lives around us. Don't worry about your status. Don't worry about your age. Don't worry about your situation. You simply seek God. You follow God. Truly live out what you say you believe. And you're going to find God using you to reach and save the people around you even in the midst of a storm, 
And guys, I tell you, there's no better time than the present to do this. So let's do it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of Paul. God, what an incredible man who was obedient to you. God, may we become men and women like that, boys and girls like that, where we trust you, we follow you, we obey you, and you use us to rescue this world. The world needs rescuing, God. Use us to rescue it. And I pray this in the, middle, the, the name of your son, Jesus, our King, our Lord, and our Savior. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. You need to be reminded of that. Have an amazing Labor Day weekend and next week. We are going to exit out this way because of the rain, so you can make your way out there. There's room in the tent to hang out if you want to hang out later. But uh, have a great week, guys. Love you.